Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now here he is, the Peabody award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Great America show. The 2021 November elections produced, as you probably noticed, a seismic shock to the Democratic Party in the sway of the Marxist left, the Biden White House, and radical Dems on Capitol Hill, who unleashed a campaign to seize control of public education and, in effect, prepare the way forward for the federal government, those wonderful teachers' unions, and, yes, the Marxist left to control the education of all students and push aside parents, their rights, push aside local school boards and local communities to determine who will be teaching our children and what they will be taught. Virginia's gubernatorial Democratic candidate, Terry McAuliffe, actually told Virginia voters before the election that their schools had too many white teachers, that he didn't believe parents should actually be telling schools what they should teach and how. And in choosing governor-elect Glenn Youngkin, they announced what will likely be a nationwide rollback of critical race theory and the effort to replace parents with the state. Joining us now to take up the role of CRT and the role of the Marxist left and their efforts to indoctrinate our students. We're joined by an outstanding journalist who's been amongst the leaders in reporting the impact of CRT whether in schools or business or in government. Christopher Rufo. Chris, great to have you with us. Is CRT now being pushed not only through some government agencies, but public education? And who is winning this battle over over CRT? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that, uh, while it originated in law schools, has now filtered down to K-12 schools. And uh, as I've reported throughout this year, Uh, dozens of different stories where these really horrible principles of race essentialism, uh, collective guilt, dividing students uh, into categories of oppressor and oppressed based on their uh, skin color uh, is now becoming more and more common, not only in big blue city districts like in San Francisco and New York and Seattle, uh, but in places you wouldn't expect in the American heartland in red states because it's become the default ideology of so many of our public institutions. And while I would like to think uh, that the tide has turned in the last year, we're facing some serious uphill battle uh, because it's become extremely entrenched uh, and they have billions of dollars in public funding uh, to play with the ideology and the curriculum in so many of our schools. When you say the money to play, what, what do you mean play? Because uh, parents listening to us, uh, grandparents, uh, and I hope a lot of students as well, are understandably confused about all of the terminology. 
uh, about who is behind this wave of uh, energy behind uh, what is a Marxist philosophy, clearly uh, being pushed by, once we thought they were neoliberals, but it looks like they're old-time Marxists working very hard to take down our traditional institutions and values. Well, you have to really start at the beginning is what are the origins of critical race theory and how does it move through our institutions? And it's a really kind of ironic twist. You have a revolutionary ideology that is actually publicly subsidized and publicly financed. It began in the universities, uh, the big state schools, which are publicly funded, as well as the elite private schools, which are publicly subsidized to the tune of billions of dollars a year. Uh, and then this philosophy emerges in the late 1980s and early 1990s, and then it finds places and new institutions to colonize. And it's most successfully moved from uh, law schools to the university system, to graduate schools of education, and now to K through 12 schools and departments of so-called diversity, equity, and inclusion that have become cemented in the bureaucracies in uh, most school districts and many state agencies. And so what you have is an ideology that is a creature of taxpayer money. Uh, it lives through taxpayer subsidies and then extends itself through the organs of state bureaucracies where it's unaccountable to the market and it's increasingly unaccountable to voters who in many cases uh, don't approve these things directly. They're just part of this endless creep of bureaucratic authority that always cements its own power first and foremost. And so what you have is a ideology emerging from universities that is now provides two things to the public school systems. One, it provides uh, a sense of purpose that is uh, much easier than the traditional goals of education uh, to get people through basic literacy and then basic uh, preparation for citizenship, which for decades our schools, especially in the big inner cities, have failed to do. Uh, and so this provides them an alternate framework that isn't based on merit or academic excellence or accomplishment or even basic literacy. It's based on politics. And then it also serves to shift the blame elsewhere. Uh, you have these bloated public school bureaucracies that in some cases uh, fail to educate in basic reading, writing, and math more than 80% of their students in a place like Philadelphia or Buffalo. They adopt this ideology to excuse their own failures to educate and shift the blame to abstract forces like systemic racism. And so that's the territory that we have now. That's what's happening. We have the ideology entrenched in its power through bureaucracy. Uh, we're exposing it. We've done a great job at doing that. Uh, but we need to take the next step and show how parents can push back against it in local school districts and at the state level. You know, it's interesting to me, Chris, that what we have not heard, uh, we've heard a great deal from the Biden administration, from the government, uh, from our federal government in particular, but it's also, as you say straight out, uh, it's also now a creature of our public education system at the local level. The administrative state in all its uh, levels of bureaucracy has really taken hold of this and is a force that is financed by the very people who are right now passive victims uh, to this onslaught of Marxist ideology, uh, critical race theory, and, and the absolute despicable uh, attack on uh, cherished American values and all of the, all of the premises uh, by which this great country 
uh, whether it be through uh, immigration and assimilation, a melting pot, whether it be through a middle class that was born of hard work and, and without question, uh, great opportunity that's being now denied the very people who are taking on the, the chore of delivering an entirely different political and economic system. That's right. You have at the basis of this ideology um, a, a complete and explicit rejection of the founding principles of the country. Uh, they say that the Declaration was a document of hypocrisy uh, that preached equality but, uh, but was designed to distract from exploitation. Um, and you even have then uh, a, a critique, a very strong critique from the critical race theorists about the 14th Amendment, which after the Civil War guaranteed uh, equality under the law uh, to each individual uh, citizen, uh, which they reject as a kind of race neutral oppression in itself uh, that that sought to not provide equality, but to enshrine uh, inequality. And even the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which traditionally liberals have held uh, to be a mark uh, of progress towards uh, a system of codified law that that d stops racial discrimination, um, the critical race theorists reject uh, as a false uh, or fake uh, or camouflage uh, that enables white supremacy and oppression, which they argue is just as bad now in 2021 uh, as it was in 1921 or 1821. They believe that racism is the essence of this country, that it's unchanging, that it's uh, dominant across every institution, and therefore their program, uh, which they don't always admit in such stark terms, but it's there in the literature that they've created over the last three decades, uh, is to uh, eliminate uh, or abolish all of the systems from the Constitution uh, to our economic system of capitalism to the legal system that guarantees individual rights in favor of a collectivist uh, and a race-based form uh, of, of neo-Marxism. Uh, this is the goal, and they believe that the strategy to achieving it is to soften the consciousness of the public through the education system, uh, softening the minds of young people uh, to this revolutionary ideology so that when they become of age, they're thoroughly uh, uh, jaded and, and, and desperate and willing to topple the system uh, at the root, uh, at the level of its deepest foundations. And the parents themselves uh, are, are being criminalized for their concerns and fears about how their children are being taught and what they're being taught about what is an assault on their minds. Uh, you talk uh, about the effort by these uh, Marxists, uh, these uh, CRT advocates, uh, to soften the minds of our children. Uh, it's really, as well, desensitizing their minds and turning them from from objective education and uh, to something of indoctrination, uh, radicalization, and social activism at some level, uh, even in a sixth grade class. It's, it's really stunning stuff. And they're getting away with it. Uh, take note that the Justice Department, the Attorney General saying that there will be investigations of parents who threaten school boards quote unquote, threatened there. I haven't seen a single 
uh, substantial uh, evidence of a actual threat against a school board, a physical threat uh, being carried out, let alone uh, being uh, articulated uh, in a credible way. Uh, have you? Well, I've looked through the documents from the National School Boards Association and the Department of Justice, and there was one incident in Illinois of a uh, someone attending a, a school board meeting, getting into a scuffle, uh, and then committing a simple battery uh, in this process of being uh, taken out of the of the room. And we should condemn this. There should be no violence of any kind at school board meetings within our institutions. Um, but this is one example from 14,000 school districts that have had tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of school board meetings uh, this year. It doesn't in any way represent a threat of domestic terrorism or a widespread threat of violence uh, at the school boards. Uh, it's being used rather as a pretext to suppress parents, to silence dissent, uh, and to really push forward this idea that yeah. was even published recently in the Washington Post. Parents do not have a right to guide their kids' education in the public school system. They're out and out saying it now, uh, that they believe that parents are an impediment to the total control by bureaucrats. And this, unfortunately, isn't anything new. They may be saying it out loud right now, uh, but this has been a theme in uh, Marxist literature dating back 150 years. They see the nuclear family, uh, they see uh, 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 fatherhood, um, they see the, the structure of, of, of the family itself as an impediment to their ideology, as an impediment to their revolution. And so it's by no surprise that they believe that the state through the public schools should be the primary shaping factor uh, in a child's development. And that's where the fight is, because thankfully, American parents are standing up and they're saying, uh, we reject this. Uh, we are the ultimate authority over our children's uh, development. Uh, and we do not accept this extraordinary overreach uh, uh, and indoctrination by a state entity that we no longer trust and we no longer believe is serving the best interests of our kids. To me, it's, it's interesting, Chris, that local school boards are elected. Uh, they represent the, the community. And they are being shunned by the school bureaucracy, uh, that is, the superintendents, the uh, principals, the administrative staff, as well as the two powerful teachers' unions, uh, the Federation of Teachers and the NEA. And they're getting away with it. Again, with public public taxpayer dollars driving the entire operation. Uh, how does a community reclaim the power that is theirs under the Constitution, under law in this country to say parents will, by God, be given uh, their due and will be deciding what their children are taught and will be deciding who is doing the teaching. It's a question of uh, organization, and thankfully we've had some shining examples in recent months that show us exactly the path forward for parents uh, to reclaim uh, authority over the public schools and then uh, reestablish accountability within these organizations. 
and parents from California to New York State uh, to the state of Texas have organized at the grassroots level, have come together with a, even a small group, 5, 10, 20, 100 people, uh, showed up at school board meetings, let their positions be known, uh, demanding change and accountability. And if when that's not been delivered, uh, they've successfully, for example, in Westchester County, uh, toppled the super, superintendent, uh, actually advocated for uh, removal of superintendents and achieved it. Uh, or in Texas, parents who have never been politically active had said, uh, you know what, enough is enough. We're running for school board. They overthrew the, the existing school board leadership. They're now reforming those institutions. So it, it's not just that, uh, that we have as citizens uh, a, a right to guide, shape, and, and control our public institutions. We actually have a duty to participate and the public institutions will seek their own way and their own sovereignty and their own domination over the public unless the public spends a, a significant amount of energy engaging in the democratic process, organizing at the school board level, running for office when it's necessary, and then making a very uh, clear line in the sand. If you transgress our, our values, if you abuse our kids, uh, we will hold you accountable will remove you from office, and we will replace you with people who uh, reflect the virtues that we want to transmit through our institutions. And what I'm seeing now is a awakening across the country of parents who are sick of the bureaucracy deciding what happens to their kids, and they're taking control of these systems, uh, reforming them for the good, uh, and letting, uh, letting these uh, bureaucrats know uh, there is a, a line that you shall not cross or we will replace you. And compounding the complexity of this uh, this conflict is corporate America and, and the place of business, which has traditionally been conservative, which has traditionally been behind the parents of the community and the traditional values in our school systems and all of the other institutions. But now, suddenly, business is moving left. Uh, it's confronted with corporate community responsibilities, whether it be uh, equity and uh, inclusion and diversity, uh, whatever it may be, they're having a lot of material that is Marxist uh, shoved down their throats. The, the National Chamber of Commerce, the Business Roundtable are in league through their HR departments, through their lobbying efforts with the left on all of this political correctness, mandates, you name it, they do not look anything like a conservative group of uh, businesses anymore and companies. They look more like left-wing organizations that just happen to be a, a, an enterprise. Your thoughts? Well, I think this is, again, a, a question of organization. If you think about uh, a, a CEO of a Fortune 100 company, they get a lot of pressure from the media and from activists on the left uh, to do their bidding, to follow the orthodoxies of, of political correctness or identity politics, and they don't have a similar pressure from the right. But we know, and even through some of my own reporting on these companies, right. we know that when we exert a countervailing pressure, we can have influence. Uh, I reported on a egregious uh, so-called anti-racism program at Disney uh, that taught employees that America was fundamentally racist and that they should atone for their internalized racial guilt. 
within 72 hours, the company uh, nuked the program from their internal servers completely. Um, I reported on American Express uh, and forced the CEO of the company to be personally responding to emails for a few days, uh, defending the policy from angry customers. So we know, even through this small example, I can only do so much within my own individual sure. power, but we know that if we can replicate this on a bigger scale, conservatives can uh, can leverage uh, their voice, can leverage their dollars, can leverage their uh, their power uh, to provide a counterbalancing force. And, and I think people, frankly, conservatives have rested on their laurels, believing that business was always on their side. That's changed. Uh, and I think that we need to readjust our strategy accordingly. Yeah, complicating the matter, as I said, uh, corporate America, uh, which has always been, if you will, uh, the critics would say, in league uh, with the country club Republicans, or as I would call them, rhinos, uh, Republicans in name only, are trying to create a, a, a new image of themselves going into the 22 elections, that they're the party of working men and women, uh, as Donald Trump, President Trump, uh, led them forward to victory in 2016. But the truth of the matter is that Republicans in name only, the establishment Republican Party is in league with the same corporations, the same mindsets, and the same administrative state or deep state in most cases uh, that are creating these, uh, these issues, these conflicts, uh, and not only financing, but in some cases uh, enabling the assault on fundamental values and the fundamental way of life in this country. It is. I mean, it is an absolutely uh, uphill battle. We're up against the most powerful institutions uh, in the country that seem to be working together and playing from the same playbook. Uh, but ultimately, we have to be optimistic because the vast mass of the American people uh, still believes in the country. Uh, they still believe in our uh, possibility, uh, and they still believe in those principles of uh, strong families, of uh, 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 citizen control of public institutions, uh, and a, a continuing unfolding of our national story towards those great principles of freedom and equality. And so we have to appeal to and mobilize this great base of the American people. And ultimately, I'm confident because uh, we've seen, even in the last year, some major changes. Because even though we're up against institutions of great power, uh, the truth that we have, the truth that we've exposed, uh, can topple uh, these paper tigers that rule the bureaucracies uh, throughout our country. Uh, and I know that if enough of us, even a small band of us, uh, can come together, we can speak the truth, uh, we can remain uh, fearless in the face of power, um, we can topple them, uh, we can restore power back to the American citizen, uh, and we can tame uh, these, these, these tyrannical bureaucratic authorities uh, that threaten the American way of life. And uh, like you, I'm an optimist. I know we can do this. And when I say we, I'm talking about the American people, working men and women and their families, small business people can take control of their communities. And, and and eliminate uh, this assault, uh, I, I think absolutely uh, rid it, not just simply push it back, but destroy it. 
And that's really, that is really the, the mission before us. Encouragingly, a, a recent poll uh, showed that three quarters, almost three quarters of parents surveyed are very concerned and disturbed by what is being taught in their children's uh, schools. And I, I haven't seen a more encouraging poll on this issue uh, in the last decade. And that, I think, should give everyone great, uh, great hope and, and considerable excitement to join the fight and to be certain uh, for your children, your grandchildren, uh, that we win this fight. That's right. We're seeing this, uh, these new numbers coming in. I mean, people really care. And I think, you know, it's one thing for the public to see uh, some identity politics nonsense at the university or the federal government. Uh, it, you can shake that off. It doesn't affect you directly. But once people have woken up to the fact that the state bureaucracies and the critical race ideologues are actually going after your kids, uh, are going after the most vulnerable and impressionable members of our society. Uh, they crossed a line that is uh, sacred to uh, almost everyone in this country. You're trying to separate or create a wedge between parent and child. That's why we're seeing these numbers. That's why we're seeing people uh, awakening. Uh, that's why we're seeing people who have previously been apathetic or disengaged starting to participate in the political process. And, and I'm confident that this is just the beginning. Uh, we've opened up a new domain for uh, politics. We've opened up uh, the eyes of millions of people. Uh, and as they get engaged this year and next year, I think we're going to see tremendous changes. I'm optimistic. I'm confident. Uh, and I'm hoping that this is only uh, the beginning of a long process of uh, restoring uh, the, the autonomy and sovereignty and authority of American families of all racial backgrounds, of all political stripes, uh, against this cruel and, and dehumanizing uh, state machine. I've always believed, Chris, that our public education system, I'm a product of public education, uh, as is my wife, uh, and our children went to public schools. It is the great equalizer in our society. I, I don't think there's a stronger force for equality in this country than public education. It's given poor people an opportunity to demonstrate their talent and their ability uh, to be rewarded with opportunity for over 200 years. And to watch what we are letting happen uh, to this great public education system is disgusting. Uh, and, and in some cases, it's because of overly powerful teachers union, the NAA or the uh, Federation of Teachers, uh, also the National uh, School Board Association. It really works as a proxy for both uh, of those left wing uh, teachers unions, too often against the school board uh, in lobbying and in representing uh, the issues uh, in, on Capitol Hill. We have to be very, very sophisticated and understand uh, who the who the enemies are in this fight and make certain that we bring them to heel. Uh, you get the last word here, Chris. I think you're absolutely right. What we're seeing in our country is uh, many institutions that have been corrupted. I think teachers unions uh, in, at the highest position among them. And conservatives need to be 
exactly that, sophisticated in how we fight, uh, sophisticated in our language that we use to fight, uh, and sophisticated in our strategies to uh, undermine and, and disrupt the power of these institutions that aren't serving the public good. Uh, and I think we go straight for the teachers unions, uh, which create a cycle of corruption, uh, which don't put students and families first. Uh, and we start there, and we've already seen encouraging signs. We've actually shattered the National School Boards Association in recent months. Uh, we now have divided their state from their national organizations. We have state organizations that have denounced the national headquarters, st entire states that have separated from the national organization. Uh, it's splintering because we put the spotlight on them. We've exposed their corruption, and we've hammered at them every day. Uh, and so this is a model going forward. Uh, in this great uh, fight, this great quest uh, to bring the teachers unions to heal and eventually abolish them from American life. And to win this fight, we're very fortunate to have Chris, uh, Chris Rufo in the fight. He's been leading the fight uh, for years, and uh, we owe you a great, uh, a great debt of gratitude. And as always, Chris, great talking with you. I hope you'll come back soon. And again, thanks for all you're doing for the American people and the American way. Chris Rufo, we will continue in just one moment. Stay with us. The world isn't any less dangerous than when we last got together. And there are signs that danger levels are rising at potential flashpoints around the globe, whether inspired by Iran, Russia, or China. And we do have to give some considerable credit to the enfeebled Biden White House and the feckless Euro pacifists who want to buy much of their oil and natural gas from Russia and who obviously believe that they'll only have to pay for that energy in euros, Russian rubles and dollars. That price will certainly go much higher in what has been for years a Cold War standoff between Russia and Europe could well in a flash break into a very hot confrontation. Only now is it occurring seemingly to the NATO nations whose militaries are underfunded, undermanned, and under-equipped that they could easily be overwhelmed by Russian forces now massed on the western border of Russia. Satellite imagery convincingly supports Ukraine claims of 100,000 Russian troops concentrated on the eastern border of Ukraine. NATO Secretary Stoltenberg sounds vaguely delusional as he warns Russia that they must be, are you ready for this word? They must be transparent about their military activities, whatever that means. It doesn't sound like a red line, does it? Or an ultimatum. It sounds more like Stoltenberg can't stand the suspense as we await Putin's next move. All the innovated Europeans can muster is a cry for transparency as Russian tanks warm up their diesel engines ready to rumble toward Eastern Europe. And NATO naval ships, including those of the U.S., have so far avoided confrontation with the Russian Navy on the Black Sea. But it's clear all sides are engaged in a high-risk exercise that could result in an explosive conflict, whether on the Black Sea or in the skies above it. We'll take up the rising number of national security threats to the United States with Robert O'Neill, former Navy SEAL. Yes, that Robert O'Neill, who shot and killed Osama bin Laden just over 10 years ago. He is a great American hero. He served with SEAL Team 2 and the storied SEAL Team 6. The Navy awarded O'Neill two silver stars, four bronze star medals, a remarkable number of commendation medals for valor, 
He works as a motivational speaker, appears frequently on Newsmax television, and there is talk of strong support for O'Neill to run for political office. O'Neill is also a graduate of Butte Central High School, attended Montana Technological University. He is without question a great American, as I said, a national hero, and by the way, a gifted author of witty, incisive tweets. Rob, great to have you with us. Welcome to The Great America Show. It is great talking to you, Lou. Thank you for the uh, invitation. Uh, anytime. You got a deal. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll impose on you by taking you up on that generous okay. offer. Okay, cool. I'd like to have your thoughts, first of all, on what you know about right now, the readiness of our military. It's going through immense changes, uh, as I think most Americans know. But the readiness of our military across all branches, in particular, the quality of this country's leadership, whether military or civilian. The, the readiness, I like to think, is always there because of the uh, not so much junior leadership, but definitely not the senior leadership. I wouldn't say they're junior, just the, the middle level officers and then the se semi -se uh, senior enlisted, because they, you know, a lot of them have had their boots on the ground in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan, and they get it. Uh, the problem is the senior leadership who's in charge, they're either going to get out and get into a political life or get appointed to their next star by someone in politics right now. So they need to toe the line as far as uh, being woke right now is where they're at. Uh, the Marine Corps just recently came out. The Marine Corps, the commandant of the Marine Corps just came out and said they're really going to overhaul the entire Marine Corps. Um, in the same sentence, it was so we can concentrate on diverse, diversity and then find out about retention. Why can't we keep people in? And I, I was thinking, well, you're, that's the... The, the question and answer are right there in the in the in the um, the headline because it, the diversity thing, the woke thing, only matters to the senior leadership because of the political division. The, the the people in the men and women in the military, they they're not thinking about diversity. They're thinking about why 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 am I taking this online course about stuff when I you know when I should be on the range shooting, when I should be in the gym lifting, when we should be shooting, moving, and communicating. And they're not doing that. And the reason people are getting out is it's, uh, Navy SEALs are leaving in droves right now. And I've been told it's because of this uh, this ridiculous uh, readiness. They call it readiness, but there's nothing to do with it. When, when I was in the military, my last deployment, probably about eight months after we killed Osama bin Laden, I did go back overseas. And the big thing was repealing of don't ask, don't tell. And, you know, there's the media is talking about it. Politicians are talking about it. And we're looking around the room in Afghanistan with Navy SEALs. Like, does anybody care if anyone's gay? No. All we care about is the standards. If you're good enough to be here, you should be here. That's it. But they just spin this into um, politics. And we're seeing it right now. Uh, like I said with the Marine Corps, with the Navy, um, how they're, uh, you know, mask mandates and all this stuff. China and Russia are not dealing with wokeism and we are and they're laughing at us they're taking advantage of us um and you know again again not that it's it's not right to everyone deserves an equal opportunity but we need to have standards and all we're doing right now is if someone can't pass the standards we'll just lower the standards that that's that's all they're doing so the readiness is out there um you know we're getting our butt kicks in war games right now every everything from friendly exercises um with like the the royal the royal marines in in the uk to uh, combat-ready exercises where we get destroyed by Iran, of all people. And you can't even talk to some of, some of these senior-level people because they're, they're claiming to have defenses. It's like, yeah, well, we can shoot down, we can shoot down an anti-aircraft carrier missile. It's like, fine, can you shoot down 1,000 of them at once? Uh, and they're not, they're, they're taking their eye completely off the ball. Um, you know, we got bogged down in Afghanistan to the point where everyone's just trying to make the next, the next rank. And that's where 
some officers don't tell senior leaders the truth because they don't want to not get that job. So the, our eyes off the ball, we're concentrating on the wrong stuff. And, and if and when it comes to a war with, with China, um, it's going to be bad for us. And let's be clear, because the national left-wing media, and I don't know whether you can speak to this or not, but uh, I've witnessed it over the years, has become far more dependent uh, on the, the branches, whatever branch it is, uh, for, for greater security so they can maintain openness uh, and, and actually get some news out of the Marines or out of the Navy, uh, the Air Force, whichever branch it is. Uh, so they, they choose not to press on one point or the other, uh, whether it be, is there really enough ammunition for training exercises in the United States Army? We know the answer is no, there isn't. But there it is. You see very few stories about that. There's very little ammunition available to the, the general uh, public in this country. How could that be? And the answer is, we're not making the ammunition that we have another supply chain disruption in this country that's affecting the readiness, in my judgment, at least, and I want to know yours, uh, of our of our military. Well, we you know, we're not making anything here. It's, it's the same thing um, in principle as closing the Keystone Pipeline and then begging OPEC to make more oil. It's it's we, we can do it ourselves. We can manufacture it ourselves. But so, someone somewhere will come up with how there, there are places in Coronado, California, where, uh, where Navy SEAL training, basically mm -hmm. underwater devil's SEAL training is. They they knocked out, you know, I don't know how much, is a, a whole bunch of land we could have been using because of some domestic bumblebee. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably wrong with what it was, but it's something that's silly that you can't get trained here because of, you know, so, some environmental protection agency restriction and because of politicians, they're just, they're, they're cutting us off at the knees. And that was back in 1996, you know, that I got out in, uh, in, in, 2012. And uh, you can just see it, it coming. And, and it, I mean, a, a great example I have right now is watching the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, when 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 we left Afghanistan um, and just the arrogance of, well, you know, you can't touch us, whatever. Like The, the, the way that I put it is uh, the Naval football team in Annapolis, Naval Academy, they went 0-2. They immediately fired their offensive coordinator. We get 13 people killed in a very predictable and preventable attack in a blink of an eye. Not a person gets reprimanded except the uh, one officer who asked for accountability. Right. The Marine who said point blank, this isn't working and we need accountability. Our senior officers are getting a free pass, even though we are seeing failure after failure after failure. Uh, it, it, it's stomach churning for all of us who care about this country, about our military, to see what is happening. And Mark Milley instead is still leads the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, he is a politician. He has lied outright to the to the United States Congress. He continues to brag that he not only called counterparts in the PLA of the of communist China to warn them that there is some instability in the upper levels of government and that we might attack. I, he said he'd do it all over again. <laughs> I which know. effectively I breach this country's fundamental. It, fundamental it, it, commitment to civilian leadership of the military. It, it completely does too. And that's, I mean, that's all because they're fragile egos. Once you get to a certain level of, of being a senior officer, I always say, show me a four-star general and I will show you a minimum of 11 people who are really good at kissing butt. That's, that's what it is. And they're so fragile because when, <laughs> when, 
when uh when uh you know if, I, if i'm in the military and i'm at the point where i'm not carrying my own bags maybe i should be taking advice from some junior enlisted people you're going to get better advice from an e5 in the marine corps on the ground than you are you know a lieutenant general because the the uh, uh the, ge- the general below him is telling him just what he wants to hear he's not telling the truth and they're, they're not even realizing that yet and, and uh a, a good leader is accountable and with mark milley it, it it's one of two ways. Either I told the president not to do this and he didn't, or he went against my advice and it went like it went, I'm resigning. If I gave him that advice, I should be fired because I'm simply incompetent. And it just, it just didn't happen that way. And they were just, it's, it's, it's amazing that they, uh, again, they, they take no blame. There is no shame. And I mean, even think, think about it this and watching a, a year or two when Mark Milley's out, he's working for one of his major contractors. Isn't it convenient that we left so much stuff behind in Afghanistan that now we just need to make it again. There's a couple hundred million dollar contract that I'm going to broker. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's really, really sick. If you, if you, uh, and we, you know, we haven't won a war since world war two. And if, if you want to lose, which we have in, involve these high-ranking officers, people in suits on the beltway, and get a bunch of lawyers involved. You're going to lose the war. We've proven it time and time again. Yeah, it, it, unfortunately, you're, you're exactly right. And Millie, as he sits atop the military uh, in this country, uh, sits atop it still, despite those 13 Marines who who died in Kabul. Uh, that uh, disastrous extrication from Kabul. It turned out to be a, a disaster, a catastrophe that we could never have imagined. And Millie stayed at the top as where he is today. Uh, the commandant, as you pointed out, of the Marine Corps is now talking about uh, diversity and equity and uh, reflecting uh, uh, the population in the makeup of the United States Marine Corps. I've got news for the commandant. And the rest of the people who lead this military, uh, this country has never had a, a military that reflect the population. We've had patriots who stand up and join the Marine Corps and the every other branch of the service uh, t- to defend the nation and to serve the nation. And that has generally been, by the way, folks from the West and from the southeastern part of the United States predominantly. And you can break it down ethically or demographically. And by the way, you'll see a lot of Scots-Irish in there as well uh, as you uh, go through the mix. Uh, this is nonsense. And it's it, there is no intellectual integrity. And there is no sense of fact or commitment to fact uh, when our, our military officers, and I'm talking about the general staff, speak to the American people almost without exception. Uh, and let me, let me ask you this, Rob. Uh, first of all, if you want to respond to that, please do. I, I agree with you completely, too. And it's it's uh, it's I think because the military relies so much on the funding that comes from the, the you know, the, the suits and, and the beltway that they they know it's a free it's free reign for them to do social experiments on the military because you have to do what you're told. I mean, even with the vaccines. You know, they're punishing people. They're talking. They were talking about dishonorable discharge for not getting a vaccine. Now, I mean, I was different when I was there. When we were invading um, Iraq in 2003, they were making us all get smallpox and anthrax. And right. I got them just because I wanted to fight. Like, you know, just, I, I, you know I'm, I'm young and tough <laughs> and invinci- invincible. But yeah. um, I'm, you know, I look back now and I'm like, there are people high up in that administration that had a lot of stock in those companies that are forcing us to take their uh, anthrax. And and, yep. and it's just it's it's just sick and and it was never anthrax was never a problem because it turns out there were no weapons of mass destruction and it's one of those things with Iraq it's like okay you know we we never should have invaded but we also shouldn't have left as quickly as we did and it's uh 
It's something that they have a problem with that I, I was a big believer in a lot of the missions I was in, in real combat, where it doesn't matter how and why we got here. We're just here. Now, what do we do? And, exactly. um, and, and they're just, they're just, they're focused out most of it. And again, um, up to um, the, the politicians, they really, all they care about is uh, how, how do I improve my personal life? How do I get the next rung and how can I make more money? I mean, it's, it's one, it's again, too, and this has been said time and time again, and I've got to bring politicians to do it because they're involved with combat. It's like, I, uh, I don't really have a problem with the very successful businessman who's already a millionaire going into Congress. The problem I have is with someone that it doesn't have any money and all of a sudden they're, they become a millionaire in <laughs> Congress and it's there and we see it. It's, it's, it's sickening. Yeah. It, it seems, and I can't speak to the this with great certainty, but I have the sense that uh, the people you're describing, that is those who walked in with a certain amount of money and walk out with millions, I think that's the uh, larger sample uh, size uh, in the U.S. Congress. And as you say, it, it's abominable. It's just abominable. And you have to tell uh, the party line, um, if you want to get advanced, and everyone wants, should want to get advanced, but you once you start speaking out, you're going to get canceled. That's the same thing in the military. I mean, it's 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 getting worse. But now, just experimenting on these people that, uh, um, I mean, you know, we have people in the military who who can't tell time without looking at their iPhone, and let alone use a map and compass. And I try to tell. I mean, I've talked to senior guys before, even you know, with Afghanistan, uh, when we should have gotten out. But but uh, it's like I said, well, what if what happens when the electricity turns off in, in electronic warfare? And they don't have an answer. Well, our guys can't use map and compass. They don't know how to use their kit count when they're trying to scuba dive to put a bomb on a ship. Uh, even even uh, when we invaded Iraq, okay, fine, we're going to go invade Iraq. What's going to happen? What's the end game? And they're like, well, the Shia are going to rise up. We're going to put it into government. And everything's going to be fine. And I started bringing up how, well, remember when we kind of screwed them over when we uh, went, and went into Kuwait and left Saddam to kill him, who was, who was a Sunni? And they said, no, the Shia are going to rise up. And, and me and the tactical leaders are like, okay, what if they don't? And they're like, but they will. Oh, okay, fab, good. But what if they don't? But they will. No, but but what if they don't? And they just it, they, there's no outside the box thinking there. And it's it's uh, you know, kiss someone's butt, and then this is the way we've always done it. I've asked two commandants of the uh, of West Point uh, at various points over the years. Do you do you teach yet? And the and by the way, West Point has a terrific warriors curricula that is magnificent and is uh, and great warriors lead uh, much of that uh, uh, that teaching. But they don't teach what happens in failure, what has caused failure, what happened in yes. Afghanistan, uh, I, what yep. happened what happened uh, in the early days of the Korean War, and how could we get into so much trouble so quickly without uh, understanding what we're doing. They don't teach failure. I asked two commandants at various points over the years, are you teaching failure? And they said no. And they, mm -hmm. as to my, the best of my knowledge, they still don't. It's they don't. stunning. I've talked to I've talked to a lot of officers recently, and then don't get me wrong. I hate I hate the broad brush paint. Everything. There's some phenomenal officers. I've worked some some of the best officers with whom I've served. Went to the Naval Academy. Went to West Point. There are great officers out there. I just but you, you know, in order to get to that fine tip of the spear, as far as brass on your shoulder, you need to say the right things. And what we were talking about one one of the guys I was speaking with was a, a colonel, a Green Beret. And when he said the problem, even at the war college, they, they, they claim that all they're teaching is leadership. And that's fine, leadership in the hierarchy. But you're not teaching winning and you're not teaching losing. That, and that's, that, it's, it's so obvious because, you know, you do win from, from success sometimes, but you should always learn from failure. Failure is the description. And I think we have to apply to the withdrawal of the United States uh, forces from 
Afghanistan, the way we left. I, I can't imagine people in that region ever forgetting what the United States did. No. Uh, your thoughts about that and the absence of any accountability and how many people do you understand, how many Americans and how many of our allies have we left to the mercy of the Taliban? Well, just because of what just because of what we've done with the Taliban and ISIS, we've also left Taiwan out uh, with China. We're, we're, they know we're not going to defend them. Look at the Ukraine, like we're saying, Russia's moving. When I was talking to some of my guys that were on the the Bin Laden raid, and over the conversation, we said, you know, because the guys that planned it, the our group of tactical guys came up with the, with the best plan. Which, by the way, the plan didn't work because a helicopter crashed. But they said uh, we decided if. Uh, if we took that same team and tried to come up with what's the worst possible way to leave Afghanistan, that's exactly what we would have done, the worst way. And that's just, it's so it's so bad to the point that even with the Taliban, when they had those poor, those poor soldiers, Marines and, and airmen out there, and, and we're watching it like they're going to send a suicide bomber in and because they're pretty much lying to us about the difference between the Haqqani Network, Taliban and ISIS, they're going to have the Taliban just say, oh, that was ISIS. It's like, are you kidding me right, right now and then and then you get bad intel on an airstrike later where you kill an entire family <clears throat> all they were doing was getting water for the family but we got single source intelligence yeah because it was someone with a blood feud against them or the taliban saying watch what we can make these idiot americans do what we can make them kill an innocent family and it just it i mean i would if i was over there i mean you know not, as opposed to just running for one of the stands up to the north um, i'm never working with the americans not in the short not 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 now maybe who knows but it's i mean it was a complete intelligence failure not and again not on the intel part because the the three-letter agency people were they just they told they said what's going to happen and you know they had to get out of there too and it's just uh, um someone's up above just like well president biden sure wants to get out of here by the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and we better do it and they also realized with the because we're not even really talking about those 13 people who were killed anymore. We're not talking about how many Americans nope. we left behind. And they knew that if you know we'll forget about it by the 20th anniversary of 9-11, we'll certainly forget about it by the midterms next year. Yeah. Well, I'll guarantee you this, uh, this uh, the Great America Show will not be forgetting, Rob. And I, I think there are a lot of people uh, who are going to uh, surprise many of our friends in Washington by not, not forgetting uh, and insisting uh, on people being held to account for what was an utter catastrophe. That was. Uh, it's, uh, let, let's turn to, uh, if we may, to Taiwan. Uh, we just have heard the, the PLA and the CCP together threaten Australia that if they were to in any way defend Taiwan, when the Chinese ultimately decide to invade Taiwan and end their independence, their sovereignty, uh, that they will be attacked hard, as the Chinese uh, communists put it. Your thoughts about the level of our commitment and our level of capability to meet that commitment? Our Navy is incredible. And if, if given, we're designed to beat, uh, obviously, naval forces, but our Marine Corps and our Army and Air Force are designed to beat large, we're designed to large uh, beat large armies. Um, if we had the commitment, which we've proven that we don't, uh, we'd be fine because all you need right now is to have a couple of uh, amphib ships um, in Taiwan doing exercises just to have American boots on the ground to prove that we're willing to back them, which we don't have. Um, we just had that debacle with the, the submarine deal between France and, and Australia is trying to get subs because they, it, it could be coming to them because they're the closest. Right. Um, and, and, and we simply have a president who says, oh, I didn't know. It's like, OK, good. The commander in chief didn't know 
about this debacle. <clears throat> but then, I mean, in the worldview, go, you know, China is is the biggest threat. And um, but you got to figure. So if they're if they're after Australia, who's next? That's Japan. And uh, that's there's a yeah. there's a pretty rocky history between Japan and China. Um, and so you're talking about some pretty serious stuff. And the way that we the way that we defeat this kind of stuff is strength through force. It's deterrence, forward defense and alliance solidarity. And we're just we're we're giving all of that up for political gains of a few individuals. And then because because of political correctness, they they don't want us. We used to have to fill out shooter statement for killing Al Qaeda and make some Afghans um write a statement for us and then sign it they couldn't even sign their own name they'd sign an x i doubt he wrote it um but it's because of wokeness political correctness we can't don't kill him too mean uh, and that, and that's we you know we're turning inward we're, we're really good at making rules that we force ourselves to follow and then we'll throw our own guys in jail for murder which we've seen uh, but we won't right. attack the we, we attack the enemy with brute force in the first six months we're really good at that but then we don't know what to do with ourselves we don't know how to win like we were saying earlier yeah perfect example is Afghanistan, uh, what was done by special forces and the CIA uh, and the other intelligence agencies in Afghanistan in 2000, from 2001 to 2002 is, is, is a textbook for how to avoid the what became the doctrine of the U.S. military, the so-called long war. I, I have to ask you, uh, David Petraeus, obviously the author of that, I have said so many years that I have never heard of anything so stupid in my life as the doctrine of long war. Every general, everyone I've ever known has always said that the purpose is to kill the enemy and to do so as quickly as possible to achieve the, the objective. And here we are with a doctrine that is really just rationalization of incompetence mm -hmm. and pathetic leadership on yep. the part of the U.S. military, You're, in my opinion. What is your no, it's, I agree, too. And I'll give you an example of on the battlefield. Um, we were the guys that went through the front door to catch Al-Qaeda on, on their heels. And we had a technique. They actually had to change this because it was too mean. We used to call it battlefield interrogation, which means you get them there, you separate the guys. And then I, it was very simple. I'm not, I'm not beating them up or anything. I'm separating them. I'm asking them five very simple questions. Who's the man of the house? Who are the men in the house? And what are their names? Boom, boom, boom. Ask all seven of the guys that. You got two guys that tell you something different. They're your liars. And you catch them so scared, they're going to start to tell you where the rest of the bad guys are. Okay, so that's an interrogation. Boom, I caught you. I beat you quickly. You told me that what I wanted to hear. And then we go to follow on targets. Now, those same guys, the longer we have them, they go to Guantanamo Bay. Now, all of a sudden, they got U.S. attorneys and JAG officers defending them. They get 23 hours a day outside in the sun playing soccer realizing that uh we're going to win this fight because they're going to they're going to get a they're going to get us back to the jihad eventually but for now i'll enjoy this cuban sunshine because the longer you're involved the more they see and they, the more they see, it's not just i mean al-qaeda and and uh, taliban aren't the only ones who see how stupid we are russia and china are watching and they're doing everything they can behind the scenes to make sure that we they just drag it we did it to them in, in, when, when they were fighting the mujahideen in afghanistan and we're sending uh, stuff to Pakistan, who another another play. That's an entirely different episode. But um, the longer you're in there, the more they read you, and the, the you're going to do worse. Especially then you get a public like we've proven in Vietnam. All of a sudden, these college kids who don't know anything except what they've been taught by some dude in the classroom that's never done anything. You know, the uprising in the streets and all the stuff, and we have no choice but to back. It's just a, you can tell even by the way I'm talking right now. I can hear myself bogging my argument down. No, no, you're not bogging it down. You're taking account of 
360-degree uh, view of the battlefield. The fact is, uh, what you're describing, I think, is what nearly every American senses, uh, if, uh, even if we can't uh, see it exactly clearly right now because there is so much fog and much of that fog generated by our own leaders so that we don't recognize the reality this nation faces. Uh, Rob, I can't express uh, adequately my gratitude for you joining us here today. Of course. I look, for, I look forward to our next discussion, and I thank you for sharing uh, your perspective with uh, the audience of the Great America Show. Uh, thank you so much. Rob O'Neill, national hero. Thank well, you, sir. They, thank you, Lou. It's great to be here. And like I said, anytime. You got a deal. Thank you. Cool, buddy. Thank you. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America Podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.